This is an AMI podcast. Hi, Dave Brown here. I'm the host of Now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio. What is Now with Dave Brown? That's a really good question. It's your daily dose of news, sports, politics, technology, and so much more, all through the lens of the blind and partially sighted community. Things do get a bit heated. We debate some pretty big issues, and I give a hot take or two, but... It keeps the debate moving and keeps things interesting. Listen to Now with Dave Brown wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. This is Low Vision Moments, the podcast all about those sometimes frustrating, potentially embarrassing, but often pretty comical things that happen when you're really just trying to go about your day and you live with a visual impairment or blindness or albinism. I'm your dungeon master. Oops, I mean, I'm your host, Jenny. If you've listened before, you're undoubtedly kind of starting to get to know me a little bit. Something you may or may not have picked up on is that I am a very stubborn person. Very, very, very stubborn. Bullheaded even. There, I said it. I acknowledge it. I know it to be true. I have been like this since forever, though. As a child, when I first started to become more mobile... I would crawl around the floor and bump into the walls. I couldn't see where I was going. So, of course, my parents arranged for me to get prescription eyeglasses, very expensive ones. However, it did not take me long to decide that I didn't need those glasses, I wasn't going to wear them, and I started very stealthily hiding the glasses around the house so I wouldn't have to wear them. Legend has it that one of my favorite hiding spots was the fridge. I mean, I think that's pretty creative, but man, my poor parents. If we're going to be delving into the past here today, I had better lay back and get comfortable on this therapy couch before I introduce my guest. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with a talented and very funny actor, writer, comedian out of the United States. You may know him from the TV comedy Superstore, the Justin Timberlake music video, Can't Stop the Feeling. And let me tell you, he has got some moves in that video, but some of my favorite projects of his include the short film, The Albino Code, which is a delightfully satirical take on the Da Vinci Code, came out about 10 years ago now. And his stand-up comedy, which I've kind of just recently discovered, is too damn relatable not to love. My guest is the Dennis Hurley. Thanks for being on my little podcast. Jenny, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. And, and first, before we get into it, I, I wanted to give a shout out to Canada itself. Canada is home to like my biggest heroes, like the cast of SCTV, now Shit's Creek, and my number one of all time, the late, great Phil Hartman. He was like the best character, actor, comedian ever to live. He was my, my hero. And uh, Martin Short, it just goes on. A good, so what I'm just trying to say is uh, represent Canada. It's a, a good percentage of my heroes are, are from there. So, Well, on behalf of Canada, you're welcome. And and you're kind of like one of my heroes. So it's really a pleasure to to be talking with you. And I love that you love Canada. That's that's really nice. But today, the, the theme today is kidding around because we're talking about 
all of those frustrating, potentially embarrassing, but still pretty comical things, those low vision moments that we experienced growing up with albinism and low vision. I'm going to kick it off for you, Dennis, okay? Picture this. Moncton, New Brunswick, 1990s. Okay, maybe that's not like the best point of reference. You've all been to Moncton, New Brunswick in the 90s, right? But in elementary school in the 90s, I wanted nothing more than to just blend in. The white hair, the thick glasses, the constant squinting kind of made it difficult to blend in, of course. But all throughout school, I tried really hard to just fly under the radar. I really denied the fact and tried to hide the fact that I was legally blind. I don't know if you did that, but I certainly did that. Oh, yeah. I just uh, I wanted to just feel feel like I was just part of a group, you know. You're just another kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was kind of not possible because there was this extra layer of unique, distinctive visual thing that, that kids had to process, that other kids and adults even had to process. Yeah. Now, one place that I failed miserably at blending in was fucking magic shows. <laughs> in elementary school, grade one to four, we would go to this beautiful historic theater for magic shows. And it seemed like it was at least once a year throughout elementary school. And there was some effort put in. They let me sit in the front row. I tried following along with like a monocular, which is like a, a, a single version of binoculars. But it really wasn't effective in following the magic. And everyone around me is ooh, ah, gasping at certain times. And unless you're making it, the Statue of Liberty disappear or the CN Tower disappear, I'm not going to be able to be impressed and, and play along with the oohs and ahs at the right timing. And even then, even if you're making a monument disappear, I'm still going to need to be within a certain range <laughs> to be able to enjoy it. I can totally relate to that. So what was school like for you? It was a nightmare. No, it wasn't all bad. It was very strange. As you know, being, being someone who can't see very well, my depth perception was the biggest problem. So I couldn't see far distances, but people could see me at far distances. So it was very unfair that they'd be like, hey, Dennis. And, and it's like, hey, you. I probably know you. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be another 12 feet before I know who you are, but whatever. <laughs> so it was strange. I can totally relate to that, the magic show thing, because we would have assemblies and I would, and they, I mean, this was like 1985, 86. They didn't know what to do with people who needed special accommodations. So like you said, I, I would watch like puppet shows and things and I would hear the oohs and ahs and I got very good at kind of mimicking it and like fake it till you make it, like pretend I know what's going on. Like, oh yes, <laughs> that's very funny when when, it, when it's just a big blur up there. But um, that's like the, the story of my life, fake it till you make it. I think that'd be my biography. <laughs> it, it lent itself to acting. So it, it, <laughs> Growing up in, in school, it was tough sometimes. Like, I think of gym class being the worst because it was just awful because I, I, I was not good at any of the sports because they were all, all involved having depth perception of some kind. And I wasn't having fun. And then there was a layer of, like, when you registered that the kids knew I had to be on their team and they couldn't hide their disappointment because uh, they, they knew they were going to lose. and. Mm -hmm. I wish I had my, my stand-up timing back then because there was this one instance 
think it was like freshman year of high school volleyball. I, I, I was I was standing behind like the the star football guy. You know, he couldn't he couldn't turn off his craving to win everything. And the volleyball came to me. Needless to say, I, I did not get it over the net. He turns around with this like seething anger and he was just so emotional. And he's just like, why don't you hit the ball? Like I was just frozen because, you know, I, <laughs> it's a lot bigger than me and I was very shy and stuff. Looking back, I wanted to say like, dude, dude, it's, it's E period gym class. Of course. Like I don't, I don't see too many volleyball scouts, you know, in the bleachers. Like we, we all know you're good. That's not a question. I don't think the scouts are looking for you as a volleyball expert. In fact, the only one in the bleachers is my mother, and just making sure I'm wearing correct shoes. No, um, yeah. So, so moments like that frustrating. It's always <laughs> after the fact that you think of the best thing to say. Yeah, you know. And that's very disappointing. I have so many experiences in gym class like that. I mean, yeah. that's a whole episode in, its, in itself. Absolutely. Badminton, volleyball, we're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> I, I couldn't convince one gym teacher that even though the birdie is neon, um, I still can't see it. I love when things were outside because then I had an excuse because I was like, I can't be in the sun. Yeah, so, I still did it. I was like, no big deal. I got this. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, I suffered through all that. Oh, yeah. Wow. This is another sort of just trying to blend in physical activity type thing. Um, after elementary school, we have middle school. And by then I had had a bicycle for a at least a few years. Full disclosure, when my parents first bought me a bike as a grading present, my grandfather openly, very openly thought that they were crazy for getting me this bike. He was sure that I was going to kill myself, you know, the whole legally blind, extreme light sensitivity thing. And, you know, he wasn't completely off base <laughs> with his opinion, <laughs> but I was good for, for a number of years. I would bike around just the places that I know really, really well. And back then it was really just like, you know, the street in front of my house. And um, and I, that's kind of what I do nowadays, uh, a little bit bigger territory, though. But back then it was just on my street. But the day came when my own stubbornness came and gave me a real swift kick in the ass the sun was setting on the horizon, which is like, you know, that's bright for everybody. I, I know that I'm I'm out with a friend in their car and they're driving and it's sunset and they're having a hard time. So I know that's not just us that deal with that. But I was obviously absolutely way too stubborn to wear any kind of helmet with like a brim or even sunglasses. You couldn't even get me to wear sunglasses. None of my friends had to do any of that stuff. They weren't wearing sunglasses. Wow. You were hardcore. Dude, it was, it wasn't hardcore. It was stupid. I had headaches. You're like Tony Hawk, just throwing yourself into it. Like, I don't need gear. Just let me jump on this thing and go. Throw me in the damn half pipe. I'll do it. I might kill myself, but I'll whatever. I can say <laughs> I tried. So one day I'm cruising around just right in front of my house and suddenly I'm stopped in my tracks. There was like a noise and I look down and I lean in for a closer look and yep, sure enough, the front tire of my bike is wedged under the bumper of my neighbor's parked car. <laughs> so... <laughs> I didn't see anybody around Dennis, but pretty sure a couple, at least a handful of neighbors saw that happen. I swiftly put my bike away and I went inside and we did not tell my grandfather about that situation. <laughs> um, but I kept biking. I still bike around, the, you know, to this day. So it, it has never stopped me. But now I wear the proper sun protection, sunglasses, etc. I see. Yeah. It's moments like those. I, I, 
like just uh, lots of wipeouts. I'm glad that cell phone pictures didn't exist back then. Oh my god, I never even thought of that. <laughs> It'd be a whole album of just uh, awkward me falling down the hill on my skis. <laughs> I, there's so many times I did downhill skiing. And I loved it. Loved downhill skiing. But too many times, because of my vision, I couldn't see which path to go. So I would go on a black diamond difficult trail instead of the intermediate blue square. Oh, it'd be a disaster trying to go down on those moguls and stuff. Would you follow someone? I know a lot of skiers with visual impairment, they'll they'll have someone in front of them that they follow and or like some, some like two-way radio or something that they can communicate. I was with my brother and my dad, and we were just all going down at the same time. And by the time I took the wrong fork in the road toward like the double, triple, black diamond difficult course, it was too late. They're just like, no, no, Dennis, no, no, too late. Yeah, no, I think you're more <laughs> hardcore than I am with, with that. I think you've topped me. Black diamond, that's absolutely terrifying. Well, I didn't, it wasn't a choice. I just, I thought that was the way to go. And by the time I was already on the wrong trail, like both skis were off. My, like a glove was off. My hat oh my was God. over there. It was, it was nuts. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you survived through that. I'm glad I that did. you're still here today. Still still a lot to do, I guess. <laughs> Let's move on to high school because what a hot mess I was in high school. Um, not I'm, I'm not the best student. I'll put that out there. But I did love learning. I do love learning, I should say. And I really enjoyed learning French as my second language. And so in like the 10th or 11th grade, the curriculum for a semester of our French class was, brace yourselves, kids. It was to study the driver's manual and prepare for the written driver's <laughs> license test. Dennis, that teacher might as well smack me in the face with a glove and challenge me to a goddamn duel. Like, I was pissed. I had the red face. Do you get the red face when you get mad? Oh, yeah, definitely. We can't hide it. We have no nope. pigment to hide it. I was mad. But I had to suck it up and do it. I mean, I let her know. I was like, can I do something else? Oh, this is the curriculum. So this is what we're doing. I studied that wretched book. I wrote the damn test. I passed. But it was like my own personal like Iron Maiden. It was freaking torture. Yeah, talk about like useless information that you're not going to use. I mean, kids say that all the time about like math. Like, when am I going to use this? This geometry. And for you, literally, <laughs> you're not going to use that. Mm -mm. And it's a smack in the face. You know, this is the age when everyone around me is getting their driver's license and that sweet, sweet independence that goes along with it. Meanwhile, I'm still getting the front tire of my bike wedged under parked cars or my dad is driving me places and we had a two-door car so he'd get out and he's wearing his sweatpants and his slippers it's just like that couldn't win it was not a happy time yeah you know you and i are dealing with our genetic cards on the table now pretty well but like that was probably the toughest time so later in life did you did you find that it got easier did you still have a lot of lower low vision moments like as you progress through high school and college Oh, definitely. College, it was funny. You know, I mentioned earlier how people could see me from far distances, but I couldn't see them even at kind of close distances. <laughs> so one time at college, I made, you know, some friends where one of them was kind of funny and sassy. And we were across campus and this girl just goes like, hi, Dennis. And he just knew that I was like embarrassed. So he bypassed it and he just screams back. He doesn't know who you are. <laughs> I like those friends. Thank you. I know. He just kind of like, 
called out the moment and just like, let's just get over it. <laughs> it's awkward. Let's go. That's where I am now. But God, it took me so long to get there. So I'm grateful for those people who are like, she she, she doesn't know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> just call it out. Um, once high school was over, I just started to care less about what people thought, which was very nice. I did not like learning. Like my self-esteem was so low that I was just like, I'm probably not going to get an A. So I just need to get, o- get over this history test, get over this algebra test. And the other thing is, in school, the, the only time I felt competent is when I took a drama class and I was able to make people laugh. Really, every other class, the board was far away. It took them extra time to make enlargements in the Xerox machine. <laughs> I was just always a step behind. But like when we were just on our feet, you know, doing improv lessons or sketches and stuff, I was like, I'm here. I'm, I'm effective. I, I finally felt effective, competent, because every other... Maybe English class, I was good at interpreting a book, but in terms of just acad- academia, it was just a nightmare. So that is another reason I, I jumped headfirst into into acting and comedy. That's really why earlier on I mentioned like you're kind of you're kind of one of my heroes, um, and and that's why because and I I hope you're you're okay with me saying this, but like you had the balls to jump into that world of acting and comedy and improv and making people laugh, and you really embrace that. Whereas I. Uh, I relate so much to feeling in my element doing drama and and stuff like that. But for me, when it came to high school, I was like, I'm never going to get cast in anything unless I'm playing some mythological creature or some villain. And that's why what you do is so I'm so impressed by the work that you've been able to do. You know, you're, you're, you're not the villain in the work that you do. You're, you're either poking fun at, that whole perspective, that whole perception that's being perpetuated in media of, you know, around albinistic features and stuff, you've done well. And so I just think that that is awesome that you went feet first into it and and you're still doing it. So. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that so much. And, and it's, it, it, it did take a lot of courage and, and it, it did, I, I did need to, you know, dive in. Didn't mean I didn't have those thoughts like, Oh, how, like, how am I going to, uh, logistically survive as an actor and and also how how am i going to get cast because as as you said the climate of of casting someone who looks so different is is a very slim chance of that happening so i had those thoughts but really it came down to i was obsessed like i was leaving study hall to do drama class like convincing the teachers to just let me go because like as conan o'brien said the first time conan uh, who was another hero of mine he said in junior high speaking of junior high when he got his first laugh doing like a physical pratfall, he said, I need more of that. It's like a drug. Yes. I remember that story. He's one of my pale comedic heroes too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It became an obsession. Like I would watch SNL every week and I was just like, I can do that. Like I can, I can do that effectively. Like, and I never felt that way about anything else, about sports, schooling. So it just... It was that immediate and, and I was so clear in that I could do it and I could do it well. And I wasn't used to feeling confidence in any other area. That's where, where I am with most of my childhood. Like, it wasn't a good time then. It was <laughs> hell then. But now I can look back and be like, God, oh, that was stupid. Or, you know, that was pretty funny or must have been funny for the people around me. Are there any other low vision moments, any other, any other growing up funny moments 
making the albino code, which is a funny thing. Like I was in New York at the time and I actually called Ron Howard's uh, company and said, I'm an actual albino. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll keep you in the file. And, you know, eventually <laughs> that didn't happen. And, and I was just like, hey, why don't I make like a Mel Brooks, Weird Al Yankovic type parody of this thing? Because, you know, it's probably going to be number one at the box office. And, you know, YouTube was just starting to come up in 2006. During the making of it, this is just an example of how other people can surprise you at other moments. Because I was in full robe, the big, the big monk's robe, and we were filming in uh, Newton, Massachusetts. And I was with my crew and stuff. And, you know, I was pretty singularly focused. And we were figuring out where to do certain shots, what would make the best angles. And these two middle-aged women walked by. And I didn't think anything of it. I, was, I just thought they were going to, you know, smile and, and say, oh, can we pass through? But no, one walks by, looks at me and goes, looks like you need more white face. Oh, my God. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with people? You're grown women. It, it was just the last place I expected them from because they're just walking by. And the last thing I expected was like for her to turn into Don Rickles. And like roast me in the middle of the street in front of a bunch of people. And I was just thinking recently, what if they what if they said that today? Like in today's climate of political correctness. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted, but at the same time, like nothing surprises me. <laughs> I think one of my favorite memories of my, my, my late grandmother was no, no one else in my family would really like address the staring or the you know the pointing and, and and the comments. When I was a kid, we we would go to the mall, my grandmother and I, and people would point and stare and like talk under their breath and be looking at me because I look different. She would address it. She would be like, "What are you looking at? Would you like to learn about why she looks different or why she's holding that thing in directly in front of her eyes?" That was one of my favorite things about her is she would she would speak up and and like try to have a conversation with these people. But man, I, I can't tell you the number of of things I've had thrown at me from moving vehicles, mostly as a as a kid in, in school aged. Um I had a frozen orange thrown at me on two different occasions. Like it gets really cold here on the East Coast, and um, I don't, I don't know how it happened. Like people probably don't even believe me when I say this, but two completely different occasions, I had a frozen orange thrown at my face by God knows what bully because I didn't see it or see where it was coming from. People are yeah. crazy. Yeah, whether they were throwing objects or insults, it stung as a kid. It's like you said earlier. The moment happens and you you, mm -hmm. you think of a comeback later and you wish you could just deliver that right away. Yeah. I think we're probably both getting pretty be a bit better at that in our uh, as we age, though. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. See, an example of that, I remember being in New York one night and um, I was on my way to a party and I was alone on the subway and it was pretty crowded. I think it was New Year's Eve, so everyone was on their way to like parties and stuff. And there was this gaggle of alpha male bro dudes who you could usually expect when they had safety in numbers would, would throw uh, a, a whitey or pasty or whatever my way. And lo and behold, uh, one of them man managed to, to throw a Casper mm -hmm. my way. Classic. I was not struck by lightning, by the way. Right. Uh, powder, right. And uh, I think, yeah, I was about 20, 20, 27, 28 at the time. And like it started as, as it usually did, like someone paper cuts you emotionally. And I'm just like, oh, okay. 
just a mean thing to, to say. And then, you know, my re uh, repressed rage starts building up within me. The red face. Yeah, yeah. And the red face starts to... But then I, I thought about it for a second. And I, you know, I was already delving into comedy at the time. And I thought of this in my head. I wish I'd said it to, to them, but I just thought it like, okay, you called me Casper. Casper, the 1995 movie that came out. Let's 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 uh, unpack that for a second. What what happened in that? Essentially, at the end of that movie, he got to kiss Christina Ricci. He came out on top in that movie. So yeah, so I I should really just give you a thumbs up because if you think that I can be with someone as beautiful as Christina Ricci, kudos to you, sir. You enjoy your night. <laughs> yeah, and it could be as simple as yeah, I really enjoyed that Chris with kiss with Christina Ricci, and they it would probably be over their heads, and that's even more satisfying. <laughs> Right, right. It's not, they have knowledge from movies from 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. So many insults and so many um, good uh, comebacks way after the fact. One thing that I'm usually pretty quick with is if someone comments like, oh, your hair is so white. I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot. Like, thank you for reminding me. It really <laughs> is, isn't it? <laughs> Well, listen, Dennis, I can't tell you how much fun it's been to chat and relate and laugh about our horrible childhoods. I, it really, you know, I, it wasn't all bad. Um, I, it really wasn't. But maybe uh, the more um, the more positive fun stuff we'll, we'll cover in another episode. But I think it's good for us to have this little therapy session. I feel like I should be laying back on a couch and um, paying, paying you 100 bucks an hour. I was just going to say, this has been very therapeutic because, you know, there's not a lot of people beyond like my, my brothers that I can talk to about this stuff and they can like truly relate. So it's been a pleasure. That's cool that you have brothers with, with albinism too. That's something I've always dreamed about myself, but thank you again. And, and tell us, what are you working on now? Where can we find you online? My main website is dennis-hurley.com. And that has all my my sketches and and which is what I'm working on mainly right now. I'm just working on writing some new sketches. Obviously, during this pandemic, there's there's not a lot of live screenings and show opportunities. So I'm just trying to hunker down and write some new stuff. Oh, and Twitter and Instagram, it's at it's dendo. I T S D E N D O. Thanks so much for joining us for this very cathartic journey down memory lane today. If you're interested in joining me as a guest here on Low Vision Moments or having your story read on the podcast, or if you'd just like to say hi, I would love to hear from you. Send an email to podcasts at ami.ca or leave a voicemail at 1-866-509-509. 4545. That number again is 1-866-509-4545. Just make sure to mention low vision moments in the message, please and thanks. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, more so Instagram. Connect with me there under uberblonde4. That's U-B-E-R-B-L-O-N-D-E and the number four. This podcast would not be possible without technical production wizard Sam Robinson. A great big shout out to manager at AMI-audio, Andy Frank. I'd like to close today's episode with just a big heartfelt thank you for listening and coming along with us for this journey. 
But above all, I really feel like I should say, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. Until next time, cheers. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.